Our sermon lesson this morning, which comes from the gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Looking around, I think most of you will be familiar with this passage, always appropriate at the beginning of Lent. This is just after Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, This said, You shall not put the Lord your God to When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, My wife's growing a little concerned because I've been reading all these books about individuals that go on wilderness journeys, like really wilderness, and they don't come back. Um, so she's wondering what that is saying about my interests at the moment. Uh, the one I finished just yesterday is called Lost in the Valley of Death, a story of obsession and danger in the Himalayas. It just came out. It's by this writer, Harley Rustad, and it tells the story of one Justin Alexander, who was a world traveler, trained in wilderness survival. Young man, disappeared in 2016. I'm going to read to you his story just from the uh, sleeve of the jacket. In his early 30s, Justin quit his job at a tech startup and set out on a global journey across the United States by motorcycle, then down to South America and onto the Philippines, Thailand, and Nepal in search of authentic experiences and meaningful encounters while documenting his travels on, of course, Instagram. His enigmatic character, a magnetic personality, gained him a devoted following who lived vicariously through his adventures. But the ever-restless explorer was driven to seek out ever greater extremes and greater risks in what had become a personal quest, his own hero's journey. In 2016, he met his way to, and I don't know how to pronounce this right, you guys can help me, Parvati? Parvati Valley in the Himalayas in India? In 2016, he made his way to the Parvati Valley, a remote and rugged corner of the Indian Himalayas, steeped in mystical tradition and shrouded in darkness 
and danger. There he spent weeks studying under the guidance of a sadhu, an Indian holy man, living and meditating in a cave. At the end of August, accompanied by the sadhu, he set off on a spiritual journey to a holy lake, one from which he would never return. You want to read the book now? No, he doesn't. (laughs) They say this, and this is the summary to get us into our reflections. Lost in the Valley of Death is about one man's search to find himself in a country where for many Westerners the path to spiritual enlightenment can prove fraught, even treacherous, but it is also a story about all of us and the ways, sometimes extreme, we seek fulfillment in life. Indeed, the book talks about other searches. Part of what it does is recount people who have gone on these epic adventures searching for something deeper, searching for uh, some kind of Shangri-La, some kind of enlightenment, some kind of encounter, some kind of transformation. He talks about this hippie trip that went through the 60s and 70s and even later 80s through this part of the Himalayas, we might add, as they don't in the book, uh, movements like, I went to Taizé in France, you guys know, this is the Christian monks sing these simple songs, and I went there and was surprised to find that every summer there are thousands of young people, you know, with dreads or whatever they may be doing, camping, just going there to sit and sing with these monks. We might think of the sort of popular version we have in Oprah's Book Club or in Goop, Heck, you could even make an argument that people that are trying to go down into the deep recesses of the internet to find conspiracy theories and belong to a sort of cult of people with knowledge is all about seeking. And I'm not going to make any fun of this or put it down. Before we get to what's wrong with this, I want to say what's good is that we are made as human beings to seek. We are actually designed to seek. We are made this way. We'll reflect on it together, but just reflect on it in your own mind for a second. How you were never satisfied, how you're always looking for something more, something around the bend, something on the other side. And I would say perhaps there is not a sufficient materialist reason for why this should be so. Maybe this seeking that is, seems to be deep within us can't just be reduced to chemicals or hormones or the law of the survival of the fittest, or just our animal instincts. Perhaps the fact of our restlessness and longing is a clue that we were made for something more. Something more than we can find or make or hold on to on our own. Something more than we can simply take from the world itself. Another Franciscan author says this, Conservatives look for absolute truth. Liberals look for something real and authentic. Spouses look for a marriage that will last till death do us part. Believers look for a God who never fails them. Scientists look for a universal theory. We are all on the same quest. What we are looking for is what I call a mortal diamond, something utterly reliable, something loyal and true, something we can always depend on, something unforgettable and shiny. We're going to revisit this in a second. Just take this as a placeholder. But Jesus, who we confess was true God, but also true human being, he shows up here in his ministry at the beginning and throughout as a seeker, just like us. That he left his father's side in eternity and in heaven to seek something here on this earth, 
in us and with us. He begins his public ministry by being baptized, starting his journey as one of us. He's told he's the beloved, the son of God, whom God is well pleased. And immediately, it says, as soon as he begins his quest, he is driven by full of the Holy Spirit, driven, it says in Matthew, to return from the Jordan River. And then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, to travel out into the wilderness for 40 days, where he was constantly tested or tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit of God led Jesus to go out into the wilderness to seek something. And just before we get into it, it validates our own seeking, our own desire, that part of it's never satisfied. It validates that part of our seeking in this world. Jesus participates in it in a way that's unique, of course, but he participates in it. And as we'll see, he deepens and furthers our need to seek. There's a 2001 documentary called The Last Hippie Standing, which I haven't But in it, there's a man named Swami William, dressed in orange robes, who first came to India from the United States in the late 60s, and he says this. I think perhaps it was just the most exotic, the most different from Protestant America, the most different thing, the most unusual, the most colorful. He's talking about all the people in the 60s that went over to India. And those people growing up at that time, seeing that, and this is a cliche, I guess, I know. But the fact is, the materialism of American culture just didn't provide spirit. The youth of America in the 60s and their 20s had everything. We had it all. Children of the baby boom. And it wasn't enough. Because everything was things. And there wasn't any spirit or mystery or creativity or magic. Now, again, whatever your feeling is about hippies or about the 60s counterculture, maybe we would not agree with the choice of journey or the paths that they went on or the destinations they came to, but I think we ought to agree with this, that this holy dissatisfaction with just being satisfied with things as they are is something good about us, that's restless, that is dissatisfied with things as they are in a holy way and longs for more than life as usual. So we are made to seek, but the problem, of course, is that we are constantly tempted to settle. In our journey of seeking things out, we're constantly tempted to settle before we get to the ultimate destination that can satisfy us. Author and psychologist and spiritual writer David Benner said this. He says, everything that is false about us, everything that is false about us, arises from our belief that our deepest happiness will come from living life our way instead of God's way. Or the way, see Satan show up in the picture here and test Jesus, tempt him, saying, you're so hungry. That's a kind of seeking, right? You feel a lack, you hunger, and you want to be filled and satisfied. And so you're seeking satisfied. So Satan shows to these needs, these good desires that we have to seek something that fill us or satisfy us, and we'll get into it. He says, you're hungry. Jesus, you can be satisfied right now. You deserve fame and glory. You can have it now. You deserve authority and power. 
And you can't have it from the Father unless you go through all that excruciating cross and death stuff. And so, have it now without all that suffering. All you have to do is walk with me. Go my way. See, we're constantly tempted to settle for the easy. Settle for the somewhat satisfying, not ultimately satisfying, okay. I guess it's almost enough. Or the best I can get. And because we're tempted constantly to settle, to let our quest be semi-satisfied with something that's not ultimate, then we are constantly called to be dissatisfied and to keep and in a, in a strange way, that's what Lent is. Lent, we hear of it and we think it's just about self-denial or being negative or withholding things or suffering or being sad-faced. But at its heart, it's actually a program for true and lastness and satisfaction. It's, it's designed to help us cease to be satisfied with the things that aren't ultimately satisfying. And to keep up our quest, to not settle, but to seek. I've mentioned this language just a few times over the years, not too many, so it may be new to some of you or it may be a refresher. One author I like talks about this desire that we have to seek but also to settle, this temptation to settle. He calls those our emotional programs for happiness. And that is so like we know we have this ultimate seeking, but we tend to find ways to just satisfy it with programs that are happy enough, right? Uh, and that we have on this journey often like go to the, off the path to make ourselves happy enough, this pursuit of happiness. He says this, human heart is for unlimited happiness, for limitless truth, for limitless love, and nothing less can satisfy. And so we have to repress that desperate but unfulfilled hunger for happiness. We travel down various roads that promise happiness, but they can't provide it because they're only part he goes on to explain that most of these have happened subconsciously since we're children, and so they get deep in us, and they motivate us, and they're, they're down into our decision-making, and our thinking, and our longing, and even ways that are subconscious often. We're blissfully aware that these emotional programs are functioning at full force inside of us, he says, sometimes secretly influencing our judgments and important decisions. And this is a direct quote now. He says, we come now to the heart of the problem of the human condition. In other words, that we settle with our program of happiness rather than continuing to seek the ultimate things. Jesus addressed this problem head on in the gospel. His first words when he began his ministry after this are repent. And that doesn't mean to just take afflictive penances like fasting, vigils, flagellation, or whatever, whatever else appeals to our sense of spirituality. It means to change the direction in which you are looking for happiness, or my words, to not settle but to seek for something ultimate. It's the root of the problem. And I think Jesus does the same thing here. By entering into our temptations and our testings, as we'll see, the three programs for happiness that all of us fall into show up in these temptations. The desire to be satisfied, to be nourished, to be filled. Desire to be in control of the situation, to have safety and security, and to know that everything is okay. And the desire for acceptance and even praise and belonging. 
The point here is simply we are tempted to settle again. We seek happiness in all of these things apart from God so often. Their author, Thomas Halleck, says, Our God is a pilgrim God, the God of the eternal exodus, who leads out of the homes and to settle in them and fortify them and also enclose him in our little borders, in the confines of our notions, concepts, and traditions. What he's saying isn't content to let us set up camp and settle in our programs of satisfaction or control. That instead, God, God who comes to seek us. And that's my third. That we are made to seek. Settle. And when we are, we are sought out by Jesus himself. We are sought out by God. God seeks us. He comes to us when we are lost, find us. He goes out into our country, into the wilderness, to find you and to find me. God is so committed to us continuing on the journey of seeking the ultimate instead of settling that he sent Jesus into our wilderness to face our temptations. Our temptation to settle or to settle or to avoid suffering. I'm doing adventurists quotes most of the time this morning just for fun. Also in this book, another adventure, Canadian, evidently has traveled to every country in the world. He documented in his book, The World's Most Traveled Man. <laughs> he wrote of what happens when you go into isolation in the wilderness and fast, which he done sometimes for up to 70 days. He also seen other people and observed them. And he describes what happens to you when you have in the wilderness. After 10 days, time starts to distort. You begin to lose the awareness of what day it is, or exactly how many days have passed since you began. Around 25 days in, you begin to lose the habit of compressing thoughts into words, and your internal monologue entirely evaporates. You run on intuition. At 40 days, you enter into a kind of dream state in which days and nights blend together. You dream when you're awake and you're aware of reality even when you sleep. I share this with you because it's so easy to just be like, Jesus went for 40 days. Imagine he went into the desert for 40 days. Think about Ash Wednesday. Imagine how much you long for Easter and how cold it seems now and hopefully it will be springtime by then and how distant it can feel. All of those days, Jesus was alone in the wilderness, being deconstructed, being changed, being transformed, going hungry, losing control, being without the acceptance or belonging of another community, Wandering in the wilderness, just as God's people had done for 40 years in the Old Testament. Like one of them, he wandered. He wandered alone. And in this vulnerable state, he was tested, hacked, and tempted by the accuser who brought sin into the world through his temptations. The accuser of God's people 
sense, the one who would destroy all in all life, who would make us settle and keep us from ultimate satisfaction from our actual destiny. That one went to Jesus and gave him his best. And Jesus is the first human in history, felt the full weight of that temptation by never giving in. We eventually give in before we have to shed blood, most of us, but Jesus never gave in until he had shed his blood and his life here. He feels fully the weight of our temptations. And he is victorious where we're told later it's why he's able to sympathize with us when we're weak and frail and tempted. Jesus fully in, that's how he was seeking us. That's how deeply he was seeking us. Jesus wanted, it seems, to experience and to show how much God desires us not but to keep the search. I'll, I'll read you just quickly the temptations he went through and onto our own temptations. It says he was hungry. So the devil said, the son of God, oh, that's true, all that stuff. Beloved of God, son Holy Spirit on your forehead through baptism, whatever. If that's true, why don't you the stone to become bread? And through this, Jesus resists and says that our programs to satisfy ourselves with this world, to make sure I have enough to eat, make sure I'm close, to make sure those things won't satisfy us. And he says, no, no, no. And he resists the temptation. Then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, I'll give you all this authority and all their glory if you'll just worship me. Just bow down to me and say, you're the king. And you can have it all. And this is a way to say that you can have power, you can be in control of your circumstances, you can reign, you can avoid suffering, all these things. And Jesus says, this is not how you get control. This is not how it's going to be, and so I won't do it. Come to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is where everyone would jump off and fly down, let the angels help him surf to the ground, and all the crowds would immediately know he's the Messiah. He wouldn't have to mess with all that cross stuff. He'd have acclaim and acceptance and belonging. And Jesus says, no, this is not how you get it. Not your ways. Not the world's way. Strength. Usually we read these passages and the first point we take is, oh, this is how I can resist temptation too. And so we learn the techniques Jesus used. But the first point of this passage is not how we can conquer. The first point of the passage is that Jesus as God's son and as one of us, so seeks us out that he comes to do what we can't do on our own. Friends, let me just go ahead and spoil the ending for you. Until the day you die and are transfigured into permanent and immortal glory without sin, you will continue to fail. But you have a victor. You have a champion. You have a conqueror over sin and his temptations and his accusations and his programs for happiness. You have one that has just blazed a way through the wall, who has paid off your student loans when you couldn't pay them. And he delights to succeed on our behalf and then to help us walk with him through the path and the trail that he has blazed through the wilderness. That same Holy Spirit that drove Jesus into the, the desert, animated, empowered, and gifted Jesus' own talent at beating the devil, that ultimately raised him from the dead after 
the final temptation, being victorious, this same comes to us and he's put them inside of you, believer, as a living stream, as a guide, as a compass, one who tells you, continue, follow Jesus. Come out of the land you're settled in and let's go. Let's walk. Let's go through the wilderness. Let's blaze a trail toward the land that will satisfy. A land flowing with milk and honey. A promised land. A land where there are no tears, no brokenness, and no, no sin. And so in closing, we are made to seek. We are tempted to settle. We are sought out by Jesus. And so... We can keep seeking with Jesus. We can continue our search. See, God is always the one pulling us out in. Continuing on the journey is the one thing needed. As you begin this 40 days of wandering through the own wilderness in your hearts, in your happiness, He's calling you out into the wilderness beyond the comforts that we settle for. He's done this from the beginning. Think about it. Abraham, come out of the follow me. Isaac, Moses, come out. Israel, come out through the wilderness. Then the exiled people go into exile. Come out of exile, come back. Then Jesus, here. The next words after this, he grabs, says, follow me. And they went through the wilderness. In Matthew 28, is raised from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. He says, go out into all the nations of the earth. Go out there, scatter. Go on a journey. Seek out and save all that is lost. Don't let them settle. See, God is a God of seeking a pilgrimage, and so we are pilgrimage people. And this is because, as said so many years ago, you've likely heard, Lord, you have made us for yourself. And so our hearts will always be restless until they rest in you. So think about these temptations in closing, closing this Lent. How might we not... For them, What are they teaching us? What is our hunger for these things teaching us that God can do in their place? The past is not just to deny yourself. It's to say, I need, I need this thing. I need food or social media or alcohol or whatever it may be. I need Jesus. And Christianity brings us to true flourishing. It's just we can embrace by Jesus. And so temptation number one, to be satisfied when we're hungry. Are we just saying no to chocolate or just saying no to sugar? Have we just denied ourselves something? Or are we also saying yes to Jesus and daily bread? Or temptation two, be in control. To say, I have just the and make sure I'm always safe and my family's provided for and everything's okay. Say, well, if we finally pass the law, things won't be wrong in this in the world. Instead of just do those things, to also, we're going to entrust ourselves. Turn away from our control and our power and our knowledge and entrust you. Even when it's and out of control. And perhaps you have time for the picturesque and aspirational worlds of Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook. Maybe you found a way not to, to turn away from the praise and acceptance that you seek from others. 
But in its place, are you letting Jesus' opinion more and more be your daily voice in your ear? You are the beloved. With you, I'm well pleased. For my daughter, I sing songs of praises over you. See, God wants to fill each of us, to satisfy us with himself. He wants you to be relaxed so that in the knowledge that he is your safety and he is in control of all things. And he wants you not to be satisfied with just whether someone likes you or not here at school or in the neighborhood or in your family, but that his delight in you will never change and it will never fail. And it is always there. And so this, follow Jesus into the wilderness with the Spirit. Say notice things for a time so that you can continue to seek the ultimate that will fill you. We fast in order to feast. We relinquish control in order to gain victory one day. We humble ourselves that he might exalt us. In Christ, we don't have to settle. We can seek because we know we will find. This is God's promise. Let's follow him into the wilderness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you.